Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. I'm Monty Larrick, and this is David Smith, the Executive Director of Illinois Family Action. Hello. Dave, IFI, following several key political races in this election, and we're joined by two candidates that hold conservative values. Jim Oberweiss is a businessman and currently represents the 25th District in the State Senate. He's now running for Congress in the 14th District. Jeanette Ward is a former U46 school board member and a product manager for a company. She's endorsed by Mr. Oberweiss to be his replacement in the State Senate. Senator Oberweiss, why do you think you can unseat incumbent Lauren Underwood when she's very well funded by the Democratic political machine? Yeah, I would say the, uh, the huge amount of funding she's gotten from uh, both Mike Madigan and Nancy Pelosi is our biggest obstacle. However, her views are way too extreme for this district. She can't tell the truth about her views because it would be instantly uh, rejected by people in this district. She has voted 100% of the time this year with Nancy Pelosi. I don't think that fits, again, with the views of this district at all. Uh, she's refused it. First of all, she says she's running uh, in, in an editorial debate. She said she was running to help clean up the corruption in, in Washington. I said, well, how about starting here in Illinois? You could terminate your joint fundraising account with Mike Madigan as the first step. As the second step, you could ask him to resign as Speaker of the House, of course. No response to that uh, kind of stuff whatsoever. But the, the real unbelievable part of it was when uh, it, for a month I've called on her to condemn the looting and rioting that has been going on in Chicago and other places. She's refused to say anything about it. But um, at the editorial board, listen to this. This is an exact quote. When the Chicago Sun-Times asked Lauren Underwood why she has failed to condemn rioting, Underwood replied, with respect to rioting and looting, you know, I think that we have seen many instances of beautiful protests this summer. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, the right to, to protest or demonstrate, absolutely fine. That should not be a political issue. All Republicans and Democrats should support mm -hmm. that. But to condemn looting and rioting, to condemn destroying businesses, to condemn throwing Molotov cocktails, breaking windows and stealing things, Again, that should not be a political issue. All Republicans and Democrats should condemn that. Unfortunately, uh, uh, Ms. Underwood wants to be a part of the squad, and they're taking the uh, defund the police, tear the system down, uh, let's start it up with a new socialist system. Uh, friends, that, that does not fit with uh, my belief of what the future of this country should be. Well, I think Senator, those issues are so strong, I think we will clearly defeat her. Uh, come this uh, November. And I will tell you how strongly I feel about that. I made a, a commitment on Monday this week to add an additional $500,000 personally to our account to try to combat all the money that she's gotten from Madigan and uh, Pelosi. Uh, unfortunately, I can't do it all myself. I still need help from anybody sure. willing to contribute $10, $20, $50. We, we really appreciate it. Our website is Jim2020. Com, and we appreciate any help. Before we get yep. to Jeanette, uh, Senator, a, a question. You don't need this. Uh, 
True. <laughs> you sound like my wife now. <laughs> you need to be retired and uh, living the, a good life, but why do you feel it's necessary to be part of this race? Well, to be honest with you, uh, this is my eighth and final year in the Illinois Senate. I believe in term limits, and I really thought that this coming winter I was going to be spending a little more time with my wife and my 24 grandkids. But when Randy Hulkin lost the seat, and then subsequently Lauren Underwood started voting in an extreme manner, you know, she ran like it. She was a moderate Democrat for it, and she pretended to be a nurse, if you remember some of those TV commercials. Right. That's right. Well, it turns out she's never been a nurse. She does have a nursing degree but she's never been a practicing nurse. Even though in some of those commercials, she said, when I looked into my patient's eyes with a stethoscope around her neck, I mean, just this woman can't get together with the truth. It's unbelievable. Nobody should be allowed to serve in Congress when they say it's okay to destroy businesses and to loot uh, businesses and, and to riot. Uh, she well, Senator, over, over my adult life, I've been involved in dozens of protests and never once have we had to resort to illegal activity. In fact, right. we usually go out of our way to work with the police to get permits uh, and to make sure that public safety is paramount. And uh, so to excuse what's going on in the streets uh, and to conflate it with peaceful protest, it's offensive. Exactly. That's my point. And I, too, have protested. I've marched down Michigan Avenue with Pastor Corey Brooks and probably a sure. hundred of his congregation to protest the violence that was going on in the Englewood and Woodlawn areas and, sure. and we're doing whatever we can to help. But, but again, completely peaceful. Yep, exactly. Well, Jeanette Ward, you face a tough race against uh, Karina Vila. Uh, the Democrat has collected $1.44 million. Wow in campaign contributions from committees controlled by Michael Madigan. How do you overcome that? <laughs> well, that's a good question and thank you for asking. Again, I'm, I'm running for uh, the 25th Senate District and you can find me at Jeanette4Senate.com with the number four. And how we overcome that is that our polling indicates if we can get our message out on taxes, abortion and corruption, um, we win 58 to 31% with the rest undecided. So money doesn't beat ideas. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, Michael Madigan because he's been the Speaker of the House uh, since, or for 35 years, and he's been in office since 1971, which is two years before I was even born. <laughs> and I'm 47, by the way, in case you were wondering. And well, I wasn't <laughs> <laughs> Karina Villa says, when asked by the press about that issue, the $1.4 million that she's received from Madigan and campaign committees controlled by him, she says she's, quote, not prepared to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> so, so I would assume that she hasn't asked for uh, Madigan to step down as speaker, has she? She has not, even though several of her Democrat uh, colleagues have, and all Republicans have. Yeah. Yep. And I think that the people of the Illinois 25th Senate District are going to understand, regardless of how much money she has, it, incredibly, even on some of her campaign literature, she's saying she's going to stop corruption. How? How? How when you're taking $1.4 million uh, from Michael Madigan? And Jeff, we've had this conversation before, but 
you're a state Senate race. That kind of money is going into your campaign, the campaign against you. Correct. This outrageous and unbelievable. It is outrageous and unbelievable. So we, we need the good people of Illinois just to help us. Again, JeanetteForSenate.com. Um, we don't need to raise 1.4 million, um, but we need we do need to raise some because we we do need <coughs> to stand up and uh, fight against the machine that has uh, Illinois in its grip. It needs to be defeated. So in this day of COVID lockdown, how are you, Jeanette, and how are you, Jim, uh, getting your message out when you can't have, you know, campaign rallies? And it's pretty difficult to go door to door because many people probably don't want to go to the door. And the parades are out of the question. Parades are out, yeah. Right. So I, I am going door to door, and I'm getting very, very positive reception. Um, my um, practice is I knock on the door, and I back up very, very far probably 10 to 20 feet. Wow. So, and uh, again, there people don't seem to be super concerned about it and they're happy to talk to me. And Good. the issues that they're concerned about are taxes, corruption, and abortion. I bet. I've really put a lot of pressure on Jeanette. I have told her that if she doesn't win, if Karina Villa should somehow sneak by, I will not be able to sleep at night. So she better <laughs> win and she better be out there. And I will tell you, She's out working Karina Via by a wide margin. Great. So, uh, she, Thank you. That doesn't surprise up. me. This that is still a Republican me. district, folks. And uh, unless that money can buy enough votes, Jeanette is, is uh, certainly going to win. Uh, as far as our campaign goes, uh, I want you to know I'm out knocking on doors uh, every weekend, Saturdays and Sundays. And even in, I, I spend my days, I get to the office at nine o'clock, I start making fundraising calls and then uh, try to knock it off around 4.30 or 5 and go start knocking on some doors in uh, some of the neighborhoods. This past weekend, we had 50, 50 YR volunteers knocking on doors. We were all mostly over uh, um, McHenry County, all over Marengo and Prairie Grove and Crystal Lake, uh, but we also had teams in Kane County and teams in Kendall County. And I, I will say that uh, the Republican Party needs to be united uh, we don't have enough people to create fights and arguments. Uh, and I, I, for the most part, I think that uh, that we're doing pretty well. Uh, our team has been working together on a series of uh, uh, events that we've had that we call Milk, Mask, and More events, where we partner with, in most cases, we partner with a local food pantry who provides food. Overweist Area contributes the milk. Our campaign uh, contributes masks, and all of our Republican candidates have been there to greet voters, to hand out the, uh, the food. Uh, in some of the early ones, we didn't partner with a food pantry, and the Republican candidates kicked in uh, some funds. We went to a Costco and bought a whole variety of different foods and put together, bag we had 500 bags of food to hand out, which uh, wow. we have now handed out to, uh, to a variety of people. So uh, Jeanette is working hard, we're working hard, our other candidates, countywide candidates and uh, state reps uh, are working very hard as, as well. No parades, I'll agree, but we're doing teletown halls, we're doing door knocking, we're doing Zoom meetings, we're doing virtually everything that we possibly can. And it's interesting that my opponent, uh, Lauren Underwood, said again in the, uh, uh, to the uh, Sun-Times editorial board that I, I made a comment about what I found when I'm knocking on doors, you know, my first question is, 
where do you stand on a congressional race? That's the number one thing on my mind. Sure. But after I get through that, I've been asking people um, where they stand on the presidential race. Because uh, I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, and how is that opinion, playing out? My own opinion is the president has done some very, very good things, but I don't necessarily like the way he's done some of that. Sure. Uh, but as, as I've asked people uh, that question, there are kind of three camps. There's one camp that just absolutely love this president, think he's the best president we've ever had, and are wildly enthusiastic about him. There's another camp over on the other side that uh, just absolutely hate the president and uh, are determined to go out to vote against him. But I haven't found anybody who said, oh, I really love Biden. I'm going out to vote for Biden. They're either pro-Trump or anti-Trump, but, but not pro-Biden. <laughs> I got a kick out of, did you see last night Biden uh, uh, in Florida <laughs> made a comment about uh, he's hoping that it will be the uh, Harris-Biden uh, team <laughs> in Washington. <laughs> he also, no, I didn't see that. He also uh, uh, said something about how many uh, American lives have been lost in the Iran and Afghanistan conflict. We <laughs> were thinking he's talking about Iraq instead of Iraq. Iraq, right. Yeah, unbelievable. That guy, my God, he can't be president. I mean, he is just, he's, he's lost it. That's right. I just wanted to throw a quick note in about, so we haven't been able to do parades, but we have done several pro-police rallies yes. and uh, along with Jim and, and uh, they have been well attended and very well received. So we that's are the party news. that supports law and order. Well, and, and Democrats you guys, support lawlessness. No, no. And, and that's a very important point because you guys represent the far Western suburbs, Northwest suburbs, you know, of Chicago and the safety, security, law, and order have got to be on the minds of many of the constituents up there. And it seems like the BLM, the Antifa, the Nation of Islam um, is, is persisting in uh, this chaos. And um, that has got to help you. Am I wrong? You are not wrong. You are correct. And that is a concern I, I um, here at the door very often people are very concerned about the lack of law and order Did you see the it was over the weekend? I believe that two officers young officers one right. of them a mom In Compton, California. Yes, and and the BLM blocked the entrance to the hospital saying let them die yep. Can you believe that? No, it's 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 very irritating um, A lot it, more than irritating. Yeah. It's tragic. Yes, it is, it is tragic. Thank you my, my, my question would be this, though. Um, we hear that suburban female voters uh, just don't want to vote for Trump, okay? But does the law and order message uh, out-Trump that <laughs> dislike for Trump? Uh, are, are Jeanette, uh, yes. you suburbs, you're a female, uh, you've been out there talking. To yes, I, I believe that it does. It, people are very concerned uh, about law and order in their family, particularly since in Naperville saw, saw destruction and riots. And I, it was Aurora who had police cars set on fire. And, you know, um, you, you can talk to some of the anti-Trump folks. You know, a lot of those folks are pro-life. And um, they agree when you reason with them that okay, maybe they don't like his tactics, but we kind of knew we were electing who we were electing. And sure. he, he's the president that was needed for this time. 
there is no one else who would have fought as hard as he has fought to defend conservative and Republican principles. Yes. You know, he was, he was the president needed for this time in history. And, right. and when you talk to folks about who are anti-Trump, although, you know, sometimes they'll be in agreement with that. They might not like his tactics, but they understand that that's who we elect. He's kind of a junkyard dog. Um, and, he, you know, it's every, every trait to the double-edged sword, right? Um, yeah. the, the positive side of that is that he's a fighter. He fights for America, and he loves America. Go ahead, Jeff. I just add one thing. About uh, two months ago, <clears throat> the RNC did a generic ballot test in, the, in several congressional districts. In the 14th congressional district, I was very pleased that the numbers came out 51 Republican, 43 Democrat. But they also checked issues. And the number one issue at that time was taxes and the economy. Not a mm -hmm. terrible surprise, but I think that certainly plays into my strength. The number two issue was COVID-19. Crime wasn't even in the top three. No kidding. Today, right. let me tell you, when I go <clears> to <throat> doors and if, talking to people, if they haven't made up their mind, uh, when I start talking to them, and I mentioned that Mike Madigan has raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for Underwood, Nancy Pelosi has raised more than that for Underwood, and Underwood in return has voted 100% with Nancy Pelosi for this entire year. And by the way, and I then read that Sun-Times article quote, uh, that is the overwhelming uh, piece that, that really seems to turn, and then people are asking, could I have one of your yard signs? Mm -hmm. Yep. So the economy and the lockdown, what are your thoughts about how President Trump handled it versus how J.B. Pritzker, our governor, has handled it here in the state of Illinois. Sometimes my Republican friends think I'm being too, too kind to J.B. Pritzker, but I, I do honestly believe that there was more than politics involved, that he really thought that he was doing the right thing by the extreme sure. lockdown measures that he was taking. I disagree with him. I let him know that. Uh, some of the stuff, you know, early on, for instance, not allowing restaurants to to uh, serve people outdoors it was crazy. It made no sense whatsoever. Gradually, he eased up on some of those things. Um, for a little while, the numbers looked like he had been right that uh, the number of uh, deaths in Illinois uh, in relation to some other states uh, was better and the number of cases was a little bit better, perhaps because of the extreme lockdown. But then, you know, uh, those numbers have completely turned around now. And, uh, you know, Florida went through a tough patch. Arizona went through a tough patch. Some of the states that never locked down people uh, end up having as good or better numbers in Illinois. So in hindsight, he did one heck of a lot of damage to our, our economy in the state, put a lot of uh, uh, businesses out of business. And as a result, tax revenues are down. He's now facing the fact that he is going to have to make what he calls drastic cut cutbacks in services provided by the state because they're, they're out of money. Uh, yeah. And I think it's almost impossible to go back to the bond markets at this point. He's borrowed $5 billion to, to try to patch a $6 billion uh, hole in the budget. They Believe it or not, it's shocking, but the budget bill that they passed in May uh, provided a $2 billion increase in spending, even at the same time projecting a $4 billion decrease in revenues. Uh, creating that $6 billion gap, which they said they were going to fund by borrowing $5 billion from the federal government, which they did, but they thought that was going to be forgiven, uh, and, and certainly to date that hasn't happened. Uh, so uh, Illinois is in extreme financial stress. 
They're still hoping that the federal government is going to bail the state out. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. There may be some aid coming to the state and to other states, uh, certainly in the uh, uh, unemployment insurance accounts. I think that does make some sense to, uh, to help the states be because of this unusual situation. But, but to try to make up the huge pension shortfalls, that ain't going to happen. So what you're saying is the recklessness of the Illinois General Assembly is going to cause even more pain more down the, the line here. In they the didn't do the right thing. Yes, that's yeah. correct. What about you, Jeanette? What do you say? So the governor was outside his uh, statutory authority by yeah. April 7th. And the lawsuit by Darren Bailey kind of addressed that. Right. Um, the, the General Assembly should have convened to um, approve, and they did not. Um, and now there's uh, undue burden on business with this $2,500 fine, potential fine, if you don't wear um, masks inside businesses. The last thing that we need to do is impose penalties on businesses. Right. It could be, I'll be a voice for small businesses and the people of Illinois. Um, the National Federation of Independent uh, Businesses has endorsed me because they understand that I will defend uh, small business. So we, we shouldn't make small business the watchdogs. It's completely unfair. And the General Assembly should have convened. The General Assembly is the people's representative before the governor. The governor, again, was outside his authority as of April 7th. Well, the, why the have a problem. General Assembly at all if the governor can act unilaterally like Correct. this? Correct. Exactly. And the other problem is the General Assembly can't just convene on its own. It has to be called into a special session by the governor or by the uh, speaker. Senate president and the uh, uh, Speaker of the House. Mm -hmm. Obviously, those things haven't happened and weren't going to happen. So uh, we can't just say, hey, uh, you know, we 19 Republican senators want the Senate to meet. We did do that. We said we wanted to. Right. We asked to, to have a special session, but of course, not happening. Sure. One of my big concerns, though, uh, with this pandemic and the governor's response is how it shut down churches and the implications of that, uh, that this could, stuff like this could carry over post-pandemic. Right. And they've got this little inroad, we can shut the church down for this. Down the road, what It's a happens? dangerous precedent. Yeah, I agree. And it was completely capricious and arbitrary, right? So churches were closed, but abortion clinics remained open. Marijuana dispensaries remained open. You could still go shopping in Walmart and other big box stores, but churches could not be open. So that is arbitrary, unfair to, to, to people. And that's why I'm running to defend freedom, faith, and family. Amen. Or you could have 500 or 1,000 protesters walking down the streets without max exactly. masks, without uh, social distancing. Yes, I, exactly. I drove by a Menards one Sunday morning, and... There wasn't social distancing there. The parking lot was full, but the churches had to be shut down. I don't get it. I, I know we're not out of this pandemic, but how should America respond to the next pandemic? Do we do this whole shutdown thing again, or do we need to take a different approach? Well, I think if we look at Sweden, for instance, which never shut down, uh, for a while, their numbers looked worse, but now, uh, as time goes on, their numbers are looking better and better. Uh, I, I hope we learn some things uh, from this. I honestly do believe that that wearing masks when you're indoors 
in close contact for a prolonged period of time does help to reduce the spread of the virus. And you're outside and you're socially distanced. I mean, it's, it's almost silly in, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but I hope that, that uh, we look carefully at what, how different countries react uh, and what was most successful. And, and uh, I hope there are ways that we can avoid any type of mass economic shutdown as we did in the United States yep. and many other countries. Yep. I'd like to Jeanette. get your perspective, Jeanette. Uh, you're a chemist uh, and you know, you know something about science. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I agree with, with Jim, um, and I, we also need to take a hard look at the data in Sweden, and the data doesn't support that it was the thing to do. Um, you know, the CDC uh, a while ago said that the, the death rate now doesn't even rise to the level of epidemic, and it was recently re reported that only 6% of the deaths um, were due directly to COVID. The rest were due to COVID plus comorbidities. So I think we need to take a hard look at Sweden because the data doesn't indicate that uh, locking down was uh, necessary. Good. Well, you know what, let's move to uh, a couple other questions that we might have uh, regarding the concerns of uh, all Americans, but especially of your district. Uh, one of the ones that really concern me as a homeschooling father is the issue of education choice. And how could we address giving parents, grandparents maybe, even greater choices uh, other than the government schools? Well, I think there are several things about that. And first of all, I have been a fierce opponent of the governor trying to decide which schools can open, when they can open, or how they can open. Sure. That should be a decision that should be made at worst. Uh, by the school district, at best by the individual school, because different buildings have different capabilities. Some buildings have uh, enough space that kids can be separated. Uh, I think we know it's pretty clear that the uh, age is a huge factor in how serious the uh, COVID-19 affects individuals, and it doesn't, for the most part, it doesn't seem to too seriously affect kids. Uh, teachers obviously have some concerns, but there are ways that, you know, if they're staying distance, which they should be able to do. Watch that cough. You know, you can spread stuff uh, that way. Uh, We're socially distanced here. <laughs> so, so I've been a big proponent of, of looking at uh, doing everything we can to get kids back in the classroom um, when there are those opportunities. Uh, and if parents want to make a decision that they want to homeschool their kids, uh, great. Uh, or if they want to make a decision for whatever reason that they don't want their kids to go to that, that school, great. Uh, I think parents should be the ones that, that have that choice and that opportunity. I also support uh, uh, finding ways that the state support for education can follow the child. Whether that means going to the public school, fine. If it means going to a charter school, that's fine. The dollar should follow. And even if, if we use a, a homeschooling method, uh, there should be some uh, financial support for that uh, method of teaching our kids as well. What about sending that money to parents who choose a faith-based school? Would you be in favor of that? Yes, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It, it, the dollar should follow the child wherever he's going for education, whether it's a charter school, a public school, a, a church school, or a home school. Yeah, what do you think, Jeanette? 
I agree. I have been a strong proponent of school choice, even while I served on the school board. Funding should follow the student. Um, parents are the best suited to decide where and how and when their children are educated, yes. not the state. So giving the freedom to parents is something I strongly, strongly support. When I served on the school board, U46, which is the largest elected school board in Illinois, I wanna point out how this is a bipartisan issue. I partnered with a board member who called me a racist publicly on several occasions, and yet we partnered to get the first charter, charter school serving U46 families implemented in U46. That's this great. is a bipartisan issue where Democrats and Republicans can work together and it's uh, something I hope to maybe accomplish at the state assembly in, in the minority when I win. <laughs> but the teachers union and the administration probably didn't like you too much on the school board. Not too much, um, but the parents, <laughs> the parents and taxpayers loved me. And you know, I, I am a supporter of teachers. I want teachers to have the freedom to teach and, and benefit students everywhere. And you know, there's lots of teachers who agree that your zip code shouldn't determine where you have to get educated. <laughs> I didn't say teachers, Jeanette. I said teachers union, probably. Yes, that's like an that. excellent point. Yes, and, yes. And, Not every teacher I, loves a teacher's union. Correct. By the way, just a little factoid that you probably don't know. First job I had after graduating from the University of Illinois was as a math and science teacher uh, in Aurora at uh, Waldo Junior High. Good for you, Jim. Wow. So I have a question that came in from one of our uh, viewers. Um, her question is this. Her name is Mary. What advice does Jim Oberweiss have for Jeanette if she makes it to the Illinois General Assembly? With a Democratic governor and a majority in both houses, let me just add a supermajority as of now, uh, it's tough going for the Republicans there. My advice is try, try not to get too frustrated because it will be a very, very frustrating experience. Uh, I, I would say uh, do everything you can to uh, get to know people on the other side of the aisle because as crazy as it sounds, there are some Democrats over there who believe some of the same things that we do, but they're afraid to uh, uh, make it public because of uh, recriminations from the, the leadership in their party. But you can make friends, and, and if you have a good bill that shouldn't be a partisan bill, uh, work to get uh, some Democrats as co-sponsors. Uh, one of the first big pieces that I got passed was to increase the speed limit on interstates in Illinois. Yay! And I did it, I, I will tell you, you're the chief co-sponsor, but you have four additional chief co-sponsors along with you. And I believe, if I remember right, I had one Republican along with me and three Democrats, uh, including, I believe, two female Democrats and one uh, African-American Democrat from uh, Chicago. So if you want to try to get it uh, geographically diverse, you want to try to get it male-female diverse, and, and get it party diverse to, to try to avoid uh, the nasty political atmosphere that can take place if suddenly they view you as a Republican bill. All right, yeah. so Jeanette, I, I, don't I just, get frustrated. I just wanna add something to that. So uh, you probably remember when I served on the U46 school board, again, it's the largest elected school board in Illinois. Um, I was in the minority. Um, when I first was elected, I asked to listen to closed session recordings from before when I was elected. The majority of the board didn't want me to hear them, so they passed a policy that prevented me from hearing them and were about to destroy the very uh, one that I wanted to listen to. So I had to sue them and I won. Then what resulted 
was a law in the General Assembly in Illinois that was passed unanimously by Democrats and Republicans that allowed every duly elected board member to listen to closed session recordings. Wonderful. So I just want, I give that as, as an example of something that you can accomplish in the minority. And Democrats yep. and Republicans unanimously agreed on that. Yep, well, thank you let, for standing up. Let, let me just add, add, add one more thing to that. One of the reasons, it, it, there's a lot of pressure when you get to Springfield to go along with the party line, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. One of the things I love about Jeanette is <laughs> I know she's gonna vote in the ways that she thinks are right, and she's gonna be willing to stand up and take the heat uh, on controversial issues. We need more of that in Springfield. Amen. Uh, and uh, yes. she'll be a, a, a great breath of fresh air. Good. Okay. Thank you, Jim. Well, the Netflix movie Cuties is, is in the news as being controversial, sexualizing young girls. Um, and many people I know have canceled their Netflix uh, account because it is um, soft core porn and porn of little girls. At the same time in Illinois, we have people who are proposing comprehensive sex ed starting in kindergarten, and the law already requires from sixth grade on comprehensive sex education in the state of Illinois. That's troubling, especially in light of the Me Too generation. <laughs> Jeanette, can you speak to that? Yeah, um, so as a former school board member, I, I highly and strongly encourage parents to be involved in asking your kids every day, what did you learn today? Um, what's being taught in health class? What's being taught here? Um, because parents, you have more freedom than you think. Um, we opted our kids out of some of that stuff, and that is the job of parents to teach, right? Especially right. me as a mother. I'm the mother of two daughters, two teenage daughters who are 14 and 15. They come <clears> to me with lots of questions, and I'm very grateful uh, to that. Uh, for that and that that they trust me enough and that I trust them we have a we can talk about those things that's the job of parents and and I oppose anything that takes that freedom away from parents parents that's your job that's right and the fact is it's encouraging risky behavior that either ends in an abortion Correct. or ends in a, in a young lady being in a crisis pregnancy and then becoming a single mother and we know that our culture is filled with young men who are being raised without a father in the home, and many of them find their ways into gangs mm -hmm. and create all kinds of violence and lawlessness uh, as a result. Our schools should be teaching abstinence until marriage right. and then monogamy thereafter as the best way to solve all kinds of problems. Right. There's lots of data to support that. since. You know, I, I have science degrees. The data supports that that is the best thing uh, for human flourishing and, That's right. and for protecting our society. And, and it works. It does work. Senator, um, kind of picking up on this whole sexualization of young kids. <laughs> well, we know that pedophiles won't be canceling their subscription to Netflix. But in California, there's legislation now that would lower the penalties for adults who have sex with children. I'm afraid this will be eventually coming to Illinois. And if you're elected to the U.S. House, 
do you think we need to have some kind of federal legislation that uh, would prevent this type of uh, activity going on that would uh, strengthen uh, current rules about and laws regarding sex with minors, with children? Maybe I'm mistaken, but don't we have federal laws right now? Well, we do, but I think the, the, the big push is on to weaken those laws. And how, how do we, what can the federal government do to stop this? Elect more Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, we, we need judges also who will be willing no. to, to um, uh, or prosecutors who will be willing to uh, enforce the laws because, you know, right now we've got a great attorney general in William Barr, and, uh, but we need those who will actually go after the obscenity laws that we already have on the books and will go after the child pornography um, uh, laws that are on the book. Senator Ted Cruz has also even said in regard to cuties, he wants a federal investigation of uh, whether or not they're breaking the law. Um, so if they are, prosecute them. That's how, how the federal government can help us, I think. I have to admit that uh, I'm not familiar with the program. I've never watched, in fact, I've, I've never even really heard about it. So uh, it's news to me. We do have Netflix, but uh, I've never even seen it promoted on Netflix. But uh, obviously it must be. Uh, you know, I think that uh, our president has had more success in appointing new judges than virtually any yes. other president. So uh, yes. if we give him another four-year term, um, we're, we're going to have a significant change in the court system. In my Amen. Opinion. I've got a question from um, one of our viewers. Uh, John Zahn asks this question. What are your views on the so-called fair tax that's on our ballot? Could passage of it result in retirement income being taxable? Um, I, am, I am insulted that you call it that. It's not a fair tax. <laughs> it's the Madigan-Pritzker tax increase. And if they change the Constitution to allow the legislature to set tax rates, this legislature in Illinois, and I'm sure any future Democrat-controlled legislatures, will find more and more ways to spend dollars. So you're just giving them an open checkbook. While they argue that this tax increase only affects the top 3% of taxpayers in Illinois, who, by the way, can leave Illinois if they choose to do so, right? Uh, they will, because of their need for more and more taxes, they will then take, okay, now this one's going to take the next 10%. And then the next change, we'll get the next 10% and the next 10% until we've really taxed the middle class significantly more because the middle class is so much bigger. If you're going to raise significant revenue, you can't do it from the top 3%, even if you tax them 100%. It's not possible to meet the enormous uh, appetite of the legislature. So if you trust the Illinois state legislature to never change those rates, okay. That's I don't the trust him. I've been a part of it. I've been an insider there. I wouldn't trust him for a minute. That's the key, uh, and, I think. Jeanette, what do you think? Should the voters trust the politicians in Springfield uh, to be able to um, set progressive rates? Um, Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The Democrat treasurer has even said that it opens the door to tax retirement income. That's double taxation. And furthermore, there is no way it's going gonna, it's gonna to result in 97% uh, of people not paying an increase in tax. It is the Madigan-Prisker tax increase, and it gives the legislature a blank check to raise taxes on everyone. And by the way, if they start taxing retirement income, 
that's just going to accelerate the exodus of people from Illinois. We're the only state in the nation that has lost population for the last six years in a row, only state. We are now, if you combine real estate taxes, and we're one of the two or three highest real estate tax states in the country, with our high sales tax, with our high income tax, even before this next increase, um, there's a, a good argument that we are in fact the highest taxed state in the nation. Correct. Sure. And that would just make it that much worse. And consequently, now, we just... have one of the highest out migration rates. So this is not good for Illinois. People, please do not vote yourselves a tax increase. <laughs> but you know, when you're knocking on doors. What are people saying about this? You know, the proponents of this have got some very slick and good ads and they're convincing and they're hammer away on TV every day with this. And they're not being entirely truthful, are they, Monty? But they're not, but Jeanette, are people being fooled? Uh, no, not the doors that I'm knocking on indicate that people are not being fooled. In fact, uh, just yesterday when I was knocking on a door, someone asked me specifically about that question, and they were fully aware that it was a tax increase that could result on a tax incre increasing taxes for everyone. So I, I don't think that the people of Illinois will be fooled. I will tell you, uh, I, I've been talking about that with people too. After I talked, number one, about my campaign, number two, about uh, the Trump situation, number three, depending where I'm at, if I'm in uh, the Senate district, we talk about the Senate seat, but the next issue is this uh, constitutional amendment. And if we phrase it as a fair tax, most people are, oh, you know, I don't really know, it might be okay. I don't, if you phrase it as the Madigan-Pritzker tax increase, I'm opposed to it, bang, uh, right away. So there is an educational process going on. I'm, I'm glad to see that uh, uh, while Pritzker has put $50 million behind selling the idea that we should pass it, uh, uh, Ken, uh, uh, I can't say his last name at the moment, in, in Chicago has put $20 million on the other side. Ken Griffin? Uh, yes, thank you, Ken Griffin, right. Uh, to uh, argue the other side. And, and, and I sure. think if people understand the issue, they will turn it down. Good. Well, we know that um, Chicago and Illinois Democrats are desperate for more resources. And given their track record, I don't know why any voter would trust them with more tax resources. But um, here in Illinois, they've legalized marijuana and are using that tax revenue stream um, what about on the federal level, Jim? There's a move to legalize marijuana or decriminalize it. What's your thoughts there? Well, I will tell you that uh, in the Illinois legislature, I did vote in favor of uh, medical marijuana. Yeah. Uh, my feeling was, uh, I don't know if it really works, uh, but uh, there is evidence that uh, there are a lot of people that, that believe that it will relieve their pain without uh, uh, the possible addiction of opioids, and I guess I was willing to go along and try it. I voted against the recreational marijuana bill. Under the right circumstances, it was tightly controlled. I'm personally not sure it's hugely different than alcohol, but uh, man, it obviously can lead to uh, greater problems, and I'm not sure that in the long run, the, the revenue that you get from the taxation is enough to offset some of those potential problems that can be created through you know, addiction through other accidents that can happen or, or other sources. So I'm, uh, you know, I guess I'm willing to listen to both sides of that, but initially my uh, reaction is not very favorable. Well, I tell you, I've been seeing a lot of schizophrenia um, advertising, medicines for uh, schizophrenia on the television lately, and it dawned on me, 
there is a connection between marijuana use and schizophrenia. And all of a sudden, these, uh, these commercials are popping up here in Illinois um, because there's a lot more people using. Um, and I, I think mentally, mental health alone, uh, the mental health industry here in Illinois came out strongly opposed to it. Um, and, and I think it's going to lead down the road to um, uh, uh, many more problems. Unfortunately, I think this COVID-19 has probably led to uh, increased usage because I noted that the, the tax revenue that Illinois took in this, uh, uh, this last uh, month or two was uh, exceeding their uh, budget amount. So people must yeah, be buying a Marijuana lot. use is up, overdoses are up, and suicides are up. Not good. Yeah. Well, Jeanette, the question I wanted to ask you is the fact that uh, the proponents of the marijuana legislation in the legislature have said that uh, maybe it's time we look at legalizing all drugs. Right. That may be the question you're faced with in the legislature. I would be strongly opposed to that. That is very destructive to society. And this issue is particularly personal for me. I had a brother, my youngest brother, who when he was about 14, marijuana was a gateway drug for him. He got it from the neighbor. And it progressed for him to methamphetamine. And at the end of his life, he was addicted to heroin. Um, I don't think that we should allow that kind of destruction to enter society. Um, it's bad for society. And it was particularly destructive in my own family. And I lost my brother to suicide. Um, at the end of his life, like I said, he was addicted to heroin. So I would how, be strongly how opposed. How old was he, Jeanette? He was 29. 29. Wow. 29 years old. Now, there's a lot of those sad stories. We, uh, somebody in our church just lost a 22-year-old to an overdose. Jim, I'd like to kind of backtrack a little bit uh, to the life issue once again. If you're elected to Congress, uh, Democrats have made it uh, known, Nancy Pelosi, that for one, uh, that they want to repeal the Hyde Amendment that prohibits federal funding of most abortions. You'll be fighting that. Tell us why. Well, uh, look, uh, I would be opposed to that on, on several fronts, but uh, the most obvious one is I think it's an inappropriate use of taxpayer dollars. Uh, there are obviously a lot of taxpayers who, who don't support abortion, uh, and to take their dollars and uh, use it in ways that, that those people are, are uh, strongly opposed to is, is fundamentally wrong, and uh, I, would, I would certainly be opposed to that. Now, another issue, the Democrats are always making this big push for uh, Medicare for all, single payer, whatever you wanna call it. And my concern is that it would lead to healthcare rationing, which will say, you know, you need to die with dignity. That way we can uh, provide healthcare for more people, your elderly, and you've got a kidney problem, it's time for you to go. Uh, am I out of line in thinking that, Jim? No, probably not. And, and I think if you look at uh, some of the countries that, uh, uh, that have gone that route, uh, that's what you see. Now, if you happen to be healthy and wealthy, uh, that may be a good way to go because it probably does bring total costs down, but it also brings the service down. I'm, I'm a strong believer that what we need to do is provide much more transparency so that people know what, what different uh, treatments cost. We need to provide more competition so that the free market can help solve some of those, those cost problems. 
but having government run it, uh, <laughs> you know, you go back to the, uh, the, the Obamacare stuff of you like your doctor, you can keep him. Well, guess what? It didn't work out that way, did it? No. Uh, so having the government be in charge <coughs> of that, I, I'm not sure how the government has ever done anything really better than the free market can do it. I'm, I'm, I'm strongly opposed to that. Uh, and uh, certainly we'll, we'll support uh, legislation that will allow us to continue to offer a variety of different medical plans for people to meet their individual needs. Uh, I will tell you that in the Illinois Senate, I sponsored legislation um, which was an initiative of a, a conservative group uh, in, uh, in Florida called, uh, by the name of the Foundation for Government Accountability. And the idea behind it was called the right to shop for elective medical care. If you need a, a hip or a knee replaced, um, you would have required that insurance companies publish their average in-network price on their website. And if an individual who was looking for that elective surgery wanted, purely voluntary, if they wanted to search for uh, an alternative provider, they could do so. And if they went out of network, the insurance company would pay and they would get to keep half of the savings. The insurance company would get to keep the other half of the savings. Sounds like a win-win, doesn't it? Guess what? I worked across the aisle. Uh, if I remember right, we had we had 17 co-sponsors from, from one party and 18 from the other. I can't remember which was the Republican, which That's was the right. Democrat, but it was obviously very, very bipartisan. That was 35 votes for it. It only takes 30 votes to pass in the Senate. So you think it passed? Uh-uh. Yep because they would not allow a committee hearing on it. They would not allow a vote on it, knowing that it would pass. That's, that's the kind of power that we have in our Senate president and our Speaker of the House. Um, it would have been very good for the state. It would have been good for, uh, uh, for patients. It would have been good for individuals. It would have provided more transparency, and it would have provided more competition because people would have been allowed to shop for a better price. That, that's what brings prices into line. Well, maybe but, Jeanette will take up the cause and try, uh, try, try again, as they say. You bet. That's I great. definitely, I would be in favor of that. Anything that increases competition and allows the free market to work is a good thing. Yep. Amen. Well, Monty, we're, we're almost at the hour mark. We should probably let the uh, candidates wrap up and kind of give uh, their final thoughts as we go. We're less than 50 days from the election and uh, we've got, uh, you know, early voting starting at the end of September. So uh, we've got to reach people. Jeanette. Give sure. us your final thoughts. So I, again, I'm Jeanette Ward running for the 25th Senate District. You can find me at JeanetteForSenate.com. And I'm running to defend and protect freedom, faith, and family. You know, instead of freedom, Democrats offer dependency and lawlessness. Yes. Instead of faith, they offer booing God, removing him from their platform. Remember that? And now they're trying to take him out of the pledge. Instead of family, they're the party of death. My uh, a Democrat opponent was a co-sponsor on the most radical abortion law in America. And even pro-abortion proponents don't support abortion up to and including the moment of birth. If you elect me, I will defend freedom, faith, and family because you'll win with Ward when you vote Jeanette for Senate. Excellent. And just so the, uh, our viewers know, um, Illinois Family Action has probably endorsed Jeanette Ward for Senate District 25. Thank you. You got it. Jim, your thoughts, your final thoughts. Well, I, I think the important factor is that, that my opponent is way too extreme for this district and she can't be trusted. Too many issues, she's totally controlled by Madigan and Pelosi. 
that's just not the, the right thing for this district. I would encourage everybody to go to our website, which is jim2020.com. Give us your email address so we can keep you posted on what's going on in the campaign. Uh, please uh, volunteer for Jeanette and or me. Uh, we need your help uh, knocking on doors, making phone calls, uh, helping uh, pass out literature for us and for other candidates, uh, helping to get some yard signs up. These are all important things and, and things that you can do to really help both of us, and, and I ask you to do that. Um, the last thing I will ask for, uh, and this may shock some of you, is to use the mail-in ballot process, and, and I'll tell you why. People have misunderstood what the president said uh, when the president said he's against mail-in ballots and for absentee ballots. There's a little confusion over that because what he meant by being opposed to mail-in ballots is that he's opposed to those states that automatically mail out ballots to everybody because that does lead to the possibility of fraud because they're mailing them out to people who are dead, who are moved and whatever. In Illinois, we passed legislation that would um, um, send mail-in ballot applications, not the ballot. Uh, you then have to fill out the application and send that back the county clerk will then mail a ballot to you. It's barcoded, so they know when it leaves their office, they know when you get it, they know when you turn around and send it back, and they know when they have received it back. You can also check online to make sure that it's been received. And we as candidates can also get a list of people who have actually already voted, so that when we do future mailings in the last uh, week or two of the campaign, we won't have to bother you. Uh, sending stuff because you've already voted. And by the way, that saves our campaign a lot of dollars as well. So uh, it helps us financially. Uh, we know that your votes are in. The Democrats have been beating us at that game. But I'm, I'm very glad to say that in our congressional district, while the number of Democrats requesting ballots over Republicans is about three to one statewide, in our congressional district, it's just over, it's about one and a half to one, which is, is much better. Uh, we're going to win on election night. We have to win uh, the mail-in ballot as well. I'm going to give you one more really big reason to use a mail-in ballot. The governor put some really, really tough restrictions in for election day, requiring that between every voter, the uh, election judges have to clean and, and sanitize the equipment. That's going to take a lot of time. Uh, I, I'm really concerned that we're going to have unbelievably long waits uh, for people who want to vote on election day. And, you know, perhaps that's actually a part of the governor's intention. That's going to be a, a he more heavily Republican group. So please, uh, the law is that mail-in ballot applications have to be sent out. That's what the president was referring to as absentee voting. So he's fine with that. Uh, and it will save any opportunity for you to be exposed to COVID-19 because you don't even have to leave your house. Uh, it's the most convenient thing that you can possibly do and it will take the fight right to the Democrats on their own turf. Let's beat them. I want to win. I don't want to just say, oh, I'm a Republican. I vote on election day. I want to win this election. So please get out there and do that and do it right away. September 20, if you apply now, those ballots will be mailed out to you on September 24th. Second best choice is vote early. You can do that uh, in Kane County at the uh, 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 county governmental office in Geneva, right by the train station on Route 31 uh, at uh, Jack Cunningham's office. Uh, get that done. It helps us and it will save uh, you a lot of pain and effort on election day. I'll tell you, uh, just to verify what you're saying, Jim, my wife and I have done the mail-in voting for the last several election cycles. It's much more convenient and it's also instructive with our little ones uh, to pull the ballot out on the kitchen table with a cup of coffee and go through the candidates and talk about 
why we're voting for this candidate and not that candidate, and then uh, get it in early, as you say. We have absolutely no excuse not to vote. Uh, we have so many different ways to vote. Vote by mail, vote early, and vote on election day. We have no excuse not to vote. Um, and also, just uh, like I said with Jeanette, uh, just so our listeners understand, Illinois Family Action has also proudly endorsed Jim Oberweiss for his run against uh, uh, Lauren Underwood. So uh, we're you. happy to uh, announce that. Thank, thank you for having the courage to accept our endorsements. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm happy and honored to have your endorsement. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I know you probably have many, many, many other things to be doing. And so we'll let you go. And uh, Godspeed. Let me just say a quick word of prayer for you guys. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that you would give Jim Oberweiss and Jeanette Ward the stamina, the courage, um, the wherewithal, the financial resources to run the rest of this campaign uh, in a winsome, godly, and strong way. And I pray, Lord, that you would favor them on election day with a win. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize.